Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is episode two of Smart Football Month. I'm warming my hands over this burning LeBron James jersey. And Zach Robinson, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, joins us this week to talk all things quarterbacking, as that is what this episode is going to cover. We're going to dive deep into how you grade quarterbacks, how you separate a quarterback from scheme, and all manner of interesting things about learning a system very similar to Kyle Shanahan's system because Zach Robinson played quarterback in Cincinnati uh, under a Gruden and uh, and runs a and, and yeah the, the well, lesser, is he the lesser Gruden still at this point or I mean he, I'm pretty sure that the like the weightlifting nephew uh, I mean I don't even know that he qualifies to be the lesser Gruden I mean that's exactly why he's the lesser Gruden because you think just by reputation name and size alone. He should be one of the bigger Grudens. His name is Deuce Gruden, by the way, in case you weren't familiar uh, with this. Never a more apt name. Oh, man. And he's like a professional weightlifter. And he's like, I don't know, five, one and a half, 300 pounds. <laughs> the, the dude is, he's basically like from his ankle to his chin. He's just one giant neck. That's all it is. It's just neck. Uh, so, yes, I guess you could say that of, <laughs> sure, of the Grudens, yeah. he's the lesser of the, of the three. But let's get to the rundown because not a lot has happened, but one thing that is kind of a big deal happened, and that's that Ruben Foster was fined and suspended without pay for the first two games of the 2018 regular season for violating the NFL's conduct and substance abuse policies. So can't say it wasn't expected, but was it as bad as you thought? No, I think that's like all things considered based on where this could have gone when this this whole thing started, right? You know, focusing purely just from a football perspective, like, Two games, uh, I think, is is pretty reasonable, and uh, the Fortnite's got to be kind of happy with how that worked out. I, I think four games seemed to be kind of like the expectation for whatever reason for a lot of people. I don't know. Four games seemed like uh, a decent number um, based on what was going on, but um, yeah, I think you're you know it's it's two games against two pretty good offenses. Obviously, you'd like to have him out there for the Vikings and Lions and and going against those teams, but. Yeah, I mean, to, to get him on the field, hopefully for 14 games after that is is pretty good. And I, I, really what the NFL to me is saying is that he's like just a game worse than groping an Uber driver. That That's really that's that's the context I'm putting this in. Right. So eh, yeah, I never try to make sense of those <laughs> and compare them to it because there's uh, there's uh, no method to the madness. It's ridiculous. I wonder if you would have pulled a Jameis Winston and then like apologize to Goodell if he could have gotten it reduced to a game and a half just coming after halftime. Why not? Just break all. Precedent. I mean, it was pretty telling, right? That they came like both Foster and the 49ers were like, yes, we'll take it. We'll take it. And this is great. He's going to do it. There's going to be no appeal. Like, yes, this is fine. Yeah, I would have thought that they would have tried to appeal. But honestly, John Lynch is probably looking at Ruben Foster like you were going to take it. and You're going to like it. Yeah, like you're lucky to still have a job. So yeah. <laughs> uh, two games is probably pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it sucks not having uh, a player like Ruben Foster, but. All things considered, it could have been much, much worse. The only other story is an ESPN story where they put together a list of five the, the five most important players on each team for 2018. And these are the five that Nick Wagoner listed for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, Richard Sherman, Joe Staley, Solomon Thomas, Jarek McKinnon. David, do you agree with that list? Is there anyone you would change? What uh, what would you do with that list? Uh, I don't think it's a terrible list necessarily. Um, I, I though it would only probably keep two of those players. I think uh, if I were going to build that list, Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, is going to be number one. There's not really a whole lot to discuss there. Um, but of the other four, I think Solomon Thomas is the one that makes the most sense to keep because I think you know obviously a big thing was made this offseason about not really fully addressing edge rusher, and he's the one player I think with the ability 
uh, to potentially take a, a large step forward in that area and produce uh, kind of more than what they had last year at that spot. So I think, uh, you know, his improvement in year two is going to be very important. But the other three are, I think, a little more iffy, and I think I'd probably go uh, some different directions. Yeah, I totally agree about Solomon Thomas. I think, to me, he's the player. That tweet was kind of going around, like, name the one player you expect to take a leap in 2018. Right. I, I kind of think Solomon Thomas is that person. I do. I, and I hope that he is. And hope if, it is, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a hope than, than a think, and I'm trying to disaggregate the two in my mind. But, but I do think that everything is pointing towards him getting better in year two. Now, how much better he gets, of course, is, is the part that's left to be determined. But if he can turn into... A, a solid producer of pressure, especially off of the edge on base downs where he's playing a weak side defensive end spot, that could be a boon to this to this defense, and it's going to be great. So if those are the two players, what, what are the other three that you throw on there? So I would go with an offensive lineman, but I'm not going to go with Joe Staley. Uh, only reason being is because uh, I, I think with him there's less uncertainty involved with it, right? I think you kind of know what you're going to get with Joe Staley. Is he an important player? Of course. But I think how good that offensive line ultimately is this year isn't really hinging on Joe Staley, right? It would be a very surprising thing if he just kind of fell off a cliff and was a terrible player and wrecked that offensive line. Uh, the bigger thing, and in, in for them taking a large step forward this year, I think is going to be the play. It, it was tough to choose between, I think, West, Weston Richburg and Mike McGlinchey. Um, I think those are certainly two. I would probably lean toward Weston Richburg just because uh, I think he's going to have a larger impact in the run game, and then hopefully he can kind of help uh, with the guard situation and, and kind of help that whole interior be a little bit better this year. So uh, I, I would go with him uh, as the offensive lineman. And then I would probably go to uh, defense and looking at coverage, um, you know, with those other two spots. Yeah, for me, it's Adrian Colbert. Adrian That's- Colbert, uh, I think, is is definitely on there. You know, safeties, you, you could really go with either safety, I think. Yeah. You know, they both kind of have a, a little bit to prove there but Colbert yeah totally makes sense I think Tart just because of what he's been able to do so far he's you know, I think he's a year this is what going to be his third year in the league uh yeah, and I and I feel like he's a bit of a of a known quantity more of a known quantity if not a not a known quantity entirely but he also is going to play more in the box and the the player that makes this defense go is going to be that free safety and if Adrian Colbert can turn that small sample size of production into a full season's worth of production that's going to be great but if his play starts to dip and suffer, that's a big part of the defense that's not playing up to par. And you might think the team has you know, the opportunity to switch to someone like a Jimmy Ward, but that then, that then changes whether or not you think about re-signing Ward if you've got a bench Colbert. And I think a lot of things happen once the whole Col- Colbert thing gets figured out. But I-, I hope he continues to play at a high level. I think he will. But I think that is more important than, say, like Richard Sherman. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I mean, at corner, I, again, I would stick with the secondary for that final player. Um, and while Sherman, I think, makes sense, I don't have uh, you know a lot of issue with that. Obviously, there are some question marks with Sherman and his ability to come back, uh, what, at 30 years old off this Achilles injury. Like, There's definitely a little bit of uncertainty there. But to me, I would replace him with Akella Witherspoon. Um, just, again, for kind of uh, a little bit of similar reasons to Solomon Thomas in that I think how big of a step he can take in year two uh, is going to have such a huge impact on how good this secondary and how good this pass defense can actually be this season. Um, so I think I'm going to lean a little bit younger there and in, in that potential for some significant improvement in year two um, over Richard Sherman. But I don't really take, you know, again, issue with either one of those guys. And so who's your fifth player then? Wait, isn't that it? Oh, did you do two guys? I think so. You did, you I think Garoppolo, Thomas, Colbert, Witherspoon, and Weston Richburg. Okay, so yeah. you did both Witherspoon and uh, both of them. Yeah, and and I'm going to go with another coverage defender, but I'm going to go with Kawan Williams. 
K1 Williams, Kwan Williams, I'm not sure. Um, Kwan sounds right. Kwan go sounds good. Yeah. Uh, he's someone who had a better end to the year than he did at the beginning. A- another player that is, you know, kind of, he's basically a starting corner at this point. And in that in that interior of the of the defense, you're really hoping that he can continue that that trajectory of getting better. Um, and if you think about the salary that he's on, you think about again Jimmy Ward being the first guy off the bench, even though I guess just ha- Jeff Hafley doesn't want to so, call him that. So I, I think that was going to be my my one kind of question there for you is uh, that spot again? No issue with with looking at that spot and not being an important position this season. Are we sure that Jimmy Ward isn't going to be in that spot come week one? I don't. I don't know. So I guess maybe I would put like the the Madden kind of silhouette dude, <laughs> who, who, whoever <laughs> right, is the nickel sure. corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, whether it be Williams, whether it be Ward. Yeah, I, I probably lean Ward at this point. I think he's probably just a better player at the corner spot over the. But I mean, Williams is someone who's got a history with Halfley, yeah. and they brought him in specifically for this role. They resigned him, even if they didn't resign him at a huge dollar amount, not a dollar amount that's significant if he ends up being a bench player. But I think that nickel corner spot is more unsettled for me, given the the, the given a the competition and given how important that that player is. is. Definitely. I mean, we know that that coverage in the middle of the field is super important and, and having somebody who can come in there and uh, be a quality player is important. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, they're they're pretty set at the moment on giving Jimmy Ward a run uh, at outside corner. I just find it hard to believe that he ends up as a starter at that spot, barring injury, right? Barring Richard Sherman not being ready or something happening to Akella Witherspoon. Uh, it just seems like it would be a surprise. So I understand, like, at this stage in the game, wanting to get him, you know, more reps there and getting him reps in the system on the outside. Uh, that all makes sense. But ultimately, again, you're looking to get your best players out on the field. And I'm not convinced right now that Quan Williams is a better player. So I, I think that we could see if Sherman's recovery goes well, uh, continues to go well and everything's uh, all right there. I feel like at some point in training camp and preseason, we're going to see a shift uh, with Jimmy Ward going back into the slot. All right, well, let's get to the interview this week. We're going to bring on PFF's Zach Robinson to continue our Smart Football Month. You know, one of the things we wanted to do this month was really dig into the quarterback position, especially since we have a a young quarterback who is developing and, and is new to the system. And we thought to ourselves, you know what, there's a lot of the, the, this whole Jimmy scheme versus not scheme debate had us thinking there. There's a lot about quarterbacking that I think is is misunderstood and it'd be great to have someone who's played the quarterback position at a power five school and now grades quarterbacks basically for a living to come on and talk about what that is and what that looks like so zach robinson he was a three-year starter at oklahoma state from 2007 to 2009 under mike gundy i think he can confirm whether or not mike gundy was a man he (laughs) played with the likes of kendall hunter as bryant brandon Pettigrew. he was selected by the patriots in 2010 as a seventh round draft pick, kind of bounced around the league a little bit, ended up with Cincinnati and Jay Gruden, who runs, of course, a similar West Coast system to Kyle Shanahan. So now he is a quarterback. He spent some time as a quarterback coach and a consultant, and he's a senior analyst at Pro Football Focus. So let's go ahead and kick the interview off with Zach Robinson. Mr. Zach Robinson, it's good to have you on the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, fellas, appreciate you having me on. Uh, so Zach, in, in a in a kind of quirk of small world history, which I guess is not small because of football, I actually watched you play live in Stillwater uh, in 2009. Uh, I, being of the Longhorn variety, uh, went to a Longhorn <laughs> game and and saw you go again go up against Colt McCoy. And was it the 2000? It was the 2009 game. Yeah, wasn't it? The, the, oh, the 08 game was. was the game where you came to 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 UT. 
But the 09 game was the year after that where it was in Stillwater. That and game was not nearly as good. absolutely smoked us. Yeah. yeah I, I do remember that game. I wish, yeah, I wish you would have came to a better game, man. That was, that was not the best. Well, from my perspective, it was a great game. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's true. But, yeah, that, you, guys had, you guys had Earl Thomas. I just remember all the guys on defense just looking across the ball like, oh, boy. It might be a it might be a tough day here, and and you guys, oof, you got yeah you got that was the year that national championship here, right? Against uh, Bama. Yeah, so yes, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, it was. So, uh, and I, I'm I've always been curious actually what what it's like to go up against a defense like that because that defense that Texas defense was no joke, and and that game it, I think you yeah. ended up throwing three picks, two of which were returned for touchdowns. What's yes, it, what's thanks it like? For reminder. Hey man, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here <laughs> yeah. for. Uh, I'm yeah. curious what it's like um, to look across the field at a defense like that. Yeah, it was good. You know, they, I mean, I th- the, all the DBs, I remember being good. They had, obviously, Earl Thomas was the man. I mean, you, you knew that he, uh, the way he could see things and dissect what we were doing. We ran one play early in the game to where he was mostly playing slot defender against us. And I think for a lot of that year even, but, um, you know, we ran one play and, and we converted a third down where we kind of, gave him a different look and, and we threw it underneath him and, and he barely missed the play. And then uh, we tried to come back and run the exact same play. He showed the exact same thing that he did on the previous play, recognized it, turned around, intercepted the ball, ran it back to the house. And I was just like watching it on film the next day. I was like, man, like he, he just, you know, the, his instincts and, and the way he reacts and like diagnoses plays. Um, obviously we see it do it the, in the NFL all the time, but uh, it, yeah, it was it was not easy looking across the ball and seeing seeing all those dudes over there. That's for sure. Crazy. Well, we'll talk a bit more about some of this stuff when we get to a lightning round at the end. But let's let's talk about your life in the NFL because you're you're drafted by the Patriots after that that season actually in, in 2010, and you're a seventh round pick. You kind of go from te- from a team to another, and you end up in Cincinnati, and you end up running a, an offense much like Kyle Shanahan's offense here in San Francisco. So being yeah. a 49ers podcast, we're obviously interested in what that life was like and and you know you from the different systems you've experienced whether it was spread in college the pat system or the uh the west coast system with the Bengals. how difficult is it to really pick up that west coast system as compared to the other ones that you had to pick up in your life in the nfl and college yeah no it's definitely difficult you know i think when you think of west coast uh you think of a very wordy complex uh, in terms of just calling the play that you know everybody's seen on tv john gruden calling out a play and it's you know, 15 words before you get everything out. But um, it's a great system because you tell every single guy what to do within the context of the play. And it's all on the quarterback to, you know, to have all that stuff memorized and then spit it out uh, as confidently in the huddle and and get guys on the same page and, you know, believing that, hey, this is going to be the best play we've ever ran. So that was what I I learned the most is that um, the verbiage and getting it down was, was definitely tough. But the beauty of it is, hey, the X receiver is going to know his job. All, all I'm telling him, basically, I'm telling the Y, I'm telling the Z uh, individually throughout the play. So uh, that, that's the beauty of the system. Once you can master that language, um, it, it really flows together. And, and honestly, it was, it was by far my I had the most experience in it, but it, was, it ended up being uh, my favorite system by far. What do you think is the most difficult aspect? Because you've got you've got protections, you've got the of course the routes by basically individual person. You've got formations, you've got motions, you've got tags. Is there any one part of learning the, the verbiage or system where you were like, man, that that took me a while, or did it all just kind of 
come in spurts at you and, and just end up coming together? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of the spurts. I think, you know, in a lot of systems, they uh, they will tag, you know, a concept that will be on one side or, you know, I was in the number system as well. So, you know, a, a five routes, a comeback, a six, you know. So I think, you know, learning just the routes and how all that was flowing, um, the formations was fairly easy to pick up. That's just strictly a, a memorization thing. But um, it, it definitely takes just, you know, some extra studying of, of how to spit out the play where on other offenses, you know, you might just have five words and it's, it's all encompassing on, on some of the route structures and everything. But, um, man, it, it, you know, if you can master it and get it down, it's, it's definitely has advantages. So I think a lot of fans like recognize, right. Like you mentioned with Gruden spitting out these like 15 word play calls and, and they uh, kind of at least have a general understanding that, that, that language element of the West coast system is very difficult, but is there anything that you think that, that kind of, I guess, like the general public or, or like any general misconceptions about the system that people uh, kind of tend to get wrong? Yeah, I, I think the, you know, the term West Coast system was, and I think maybe it's, it's gotten a little bit better, but it's always been viewed as like quick passing game. And, you know, oh, this guy will fit in the West Coast system because he's, he's a quick passer and, and they get the ball out. And, and yes, there is elements of that, just like there is quick game elements in a lot of offenses, but um, you know, the design of the offense the, and the, the ones I've been in has been, uh, you know, the misdirection, the play action, you know, getting chunks down the field. We got the quick controlled passing game, but uh, really it's, it's a, you know, an offense that any QB can fit in, not just, a, you know, kind of a quick timing and rhythm passer. So uh, there, there's a lot of great stuff with it. And I think that maybe some of that's been stomped, you know, over the, over the last, I don't know, five years or so in terms of, uh, you know, a West Coast quarterback being a guy that can just dink and dunk down the field. Do you think that has more to do with the, the language of the verbiage that's used? Or do you think there's something about the systems that's uniquely different? Because we're seeing like a big convergence of the types of plays that you'll see across the NFL. The, the concepts are not really all that different. They're just dressed differently. And, and yeah. then you've got how those things work together, which is what Shanahan and McVay, I think, do really well. So do you think that a lot of that kind of West Coast is, is inherent in the verbiage, or do you think there's something unique about the system that makes it West Coast? That, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, in terms of the flexibility that the quarterback has at the line of scrimmage, um, I, I can speak for the two West Coast. I was in Seattle as well with Jeremy Bates, and, and that was, you know, as West Coast as it gets. Um, and I, I did feel like, you had total freedom at the line of scrimmage, um, you know, to, to get into the right play. And, and most of the time it was, Hey, if we can throw the ball, let's throw the ball. Not, let's not just check away a run away from numbers. If the look is good to throw, let's throw. And it, and it felt like it was in terms of that, it was an aggressive style to where, uh, you know, the quarterback's making the last, the last check at the line. And there might be some systems where we won't fix the protection all the time, but, um, you know, we want to throw hot. This was, Hey, let's fix the protection. Let's get into our best play possible that we see against this look and, uh, and, and let's go attack. How difficult is it nowadays to really improve as a, as a backup quarterback in the NFL under the new CBA? I, I think you had the good fortune oh, of, of playing kind of on both ends of, of the CBA, right? Where I think your first season was right before the, the lockout year. And then after that, you've got all these practice restrictions, one of the right. things that we talk about a lot on the show is like just the, the issue of, of repetitions. When you're looking at a player to draft and develop, you're looking at a finite number of reps in practice. And it's not easy to, to develop if you're not getting starters reps. 
So how is Man. it? How's it difficult from a quarterback's perspective? Yeah, no doubt you're, you nailed it. It's um, you know the term developmental QB is I, you know it's not even a, a term anymore because you don't get to develop these guys. So um, I def- definitely got to see both sides. The most reps I ever got was like you're saying before the CBA 2010 when I was with the Patriots. We had a ton of extra practice time. We had two a days to where uh, they they would give just me an entire period to run and the threes, you know, an entire period to to practice our offense. And so uh, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. And and you're looking for a developmental third quarterback. You're looking at maybe getting, you're fighting for routes on air reps, to be honest. And, and, uh, you know, to get like a team rep in practice, maybe you get like a couple a week, you know, during the season, you'll probably get zero, but uh, in training camp, you'll get, you know, a, a couple here and there, but um, yeah, it's too bad that that's the way it's kind of, you know, obviously the players gave up um, or, or wanted more freedom and, and more free time and everything. But um, for the, the, the bottom of the roster guys, man, and, and developmental QBs, it's definitely tough. Well, let's go ahead and actually get to one of those quarterbacks that's had to, uh, you know, had to spend some time with the Patriots trying to develop as a backup quarterback in that new CBA uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo, of course. So, I think let's let's kind of start easy, start general. Um, what were your kind of overall impressions from him during those five starts last season? Man, I, I was really impressed. You know, um, I've always been a guy that's been a, I've, I've always been a fan of his game. He just um, he, he just has kind of the look and the, the instincts and the feel for the game, all that stuff. And I think his arm is, is definitely developed. And, and you've seen it, uh, you know, last year, especially he's got uh, just such a natural knack for playing the position and, and, uh, and, you know, extending the play, getting the ball out on time, playing within the rhythm of the offense. And then, uh, his play under pressure last year, I thought was pretty good. The, the Chicago the bears game sticks out. I know there's a bunch of throws in that game where guys are barreling down on him and he's, he's hanging in there. He's hitting digs over the middle of the field. And, and, uh, you saw some of that stuff and it was easy to get excited, you know, right away. Cause he has, uh, a ton of game, you know, the great feel for it and, and uh, quick release as everybody, you know, has, has already seen. But, uh, man, it, it was impressive to see just how quickly he could, you know, ignite that offense and just be in there a short time. Now, you do all the all the eval for pro football focus. So you watch all the quarterbacks, you grade their snaps. What would you say was was Garoppolo's most glaring deficiency in his game last year? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the 20 plus plays and, and the downfield shots um, that that needs to to come up a lot more. You know, there was a lot of sustaining drives and, and uh, you know, he was racking up, you know, eight yards, 10 yards, 12 yards. I think just t- alleviating some off the offense and, and getting some chunks down the field, um, you know, especially in this offense off of play action. I think that's that's the one spot where you're like, OK, he's done all this stuff really, really well. Uh, an uptick in, in kind of the downfield accuracy and downfield shots, I think will be big. What, did, what do you think was the reason that he kind of struggled on those throws? Was there, I mean, I, I know it's a, a pretty small sample to work with at this point. I think he's got what, like 16 uh, of those deep ball throws there from last season. I'm going to need you to make a declarative statement about his future forever <laughs> with certainty on 16 <laughs> throws right now. 16 throws. Um, but I think he only completed like four of those, right? So, I mean, obviously uh, it wasn't, the most encouraging first 16 throws there. So uh, w- was there anything that stuck out just with him, in, in, whether that's like from a mechanic standpoint or some sort of like deficiency there um, that may have led to some of those struggles that, and that's something he needs to kind of clean up going forward? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I think there's, um, 
you know, he's got such a quick release and he's used to just snapping it off so quickly that maybe sometimes he doesn't always get through the throw. And, and it's not saying you got to like baseball pitcher, get your right leg up and over, but uh, kind of bringing your hips all the way through and, and really finishing the throw on the deep balls, I think is, uh, is, is maybe something he's, he's seen and, and worked on. I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it, you know, from watching it on film aspect, you can definitely see like, Hey man, just get through that throw a little bit. And uh, you know, some, some of those won't float as much and, and maybe you have a little juice behind it. So when you think about his throw quality and you mentioned earlier about how you'd like to see him get a couple more chunk plays within the offense. Of course, the big topic this offseason was Jalen Ramsey talking about Jimmy Garoppolo saying that, you know, it wasn't really Garoppolo that that beat them up all that bad. It was the scheme. I'm curious where where you fall on that spectrum and and whether or not you think you're able to separate a quarterback from scheme in the way that Jalen Ramsey is kind of saying you can. Yeah, I, I didn't agree with that at all. I mean, he diced him up with his accuracy and, and knowing where to go with the ball pre-snap, made a few plays, you know, extending the play. So I think that that maybe just a little bit of sour grapes from his part. But, um, you know, sticking it with the difficult. quarterback tribe. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> the quarterback yeah, stick yeah, together. You got to stick up for your guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, separating a quarterback from scheme, yes, it is tough because game to game there's games where, you know, it's schemed up perfectly and you've got open throws at the, you know, you've got the defensive look that you're expecting and, and you're getting that, you're playing in rhythm. I think the big thing that we're trying to track now is just, you know, quarterback's rhythm and, and you know, how, how well they're staying in the flow of the game and what's causing them off rhythm, whether it's pressure or coverage or a combination of both. So um, it, it's difficult to do. I do think that, um, you know, those games where it's tight coverage and, and we track, you know, tightness of coverage and accuracy and all that stuff and, and that's going to be kind of ramped up even more this season and hopefully we'll be able to separate some of those where you're saying hey man he, this guy had 60 percent of his throws into tight coverage this game you know no wonder he had a, a little bit tougher time or uh, didn't complete as many balls or, or whatever it may be so um it, it, that's that's the million dollar question though man is just separating qbs and scheme and it's it's definitely not easy would you say it's a fair presumption that if, if a wide receiver is running wide open and in a wide open space, that, that that's, that that's scheme that's getting him open? Um, unless, I mean, there's obviously route separation and stuff like that. But if he's running free and there's not a defender in sight, is that the scheme yeah. at work? Is it a fair assumption? I would, I would say that that's a fair assumption. A quarterback's on typically his first hitch, maybe his first or second hitch. And there's a wide open receiver. I'm, you would think that that's some sort of scheme related, and uh, you know, coverage busts on the on the back end, or, or just a look they weren't ready for. So uh, I, I, you look a lot at their feet, and if they're you know staying within the rhythm of the offense in their first and second hitch, and they're throwing to open guys, then I think a lot of that's uh, definitely scheme related. Definitely. So, so I mean, one of the things that hit on there, right, is is this idea of throwing to open receivers, throwing to, to receivers who are in tight coverage and, and all that. I think during this whole conversation, one of the things that is kind of tough for, for your average fan to really pick up on is what's expected from these quarterbacks, right? Something uh, that, that PFF talks about a, a bunch, and that's kind of like the basis for how they go about a lot of things is, is what's really expected. But 49ers fans are sitting there and saying like, look, yeah, he's thrown to these open receivers, but Brian Hoyer and CJ Beathard couldn't throw to those same open receivers. So he's got to be right. doing something right. Right. So uh, I think what is exactly the job description for an NFL quarterback when you're watching these guys on tape? You know, what is it that they should be doing, even though we all know that it's very difficult, everything that they're trying to do and handle 
is incredibly difficult. Um, but yeah. what's kind of that baseline? What are you expecting them to be able to do? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, uh, we've found with, you know, in terms of it's, it's always hard because you're trying to figure out what their read is, what's, you know, how, how are they getting through progressions? You hear that out so much. So we, we kind of been able to look at a lot of that stuff. We found that quarterbacks sort of their first read 65% of the time. So I think when you're looking at that, it's like, okay, if he's throwing to his first look, uh, he's got to be accurate, you know, and, and, um, you know, so we can separate the accuracy that way. Anything past that, you know, we, we talk about quarterbacks processing ability and, and guys are are just naturally more gifted and being able to turn a read down and smoothly while staying in, in the rhythm of their drop and getting their second hitch, third hitch and staying on balance and, and being able to deliver, uh, to those second and third options. And then, uh, you know, the, the thing that I always look for is just the ability to extend the play, you know, whether it's in the pocket, like Tom Brady, uh, outside the pocket, like, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or, you know, combination of both with, uh, Roethlisberger and, and, you know, Garoppolo has got some of that where he can just extend and feel the pocket. Um, th- those are the main things, you know, the, the pocket instincts, the old Bill Walsh, I mean, 49ers, if you ask, if you look at anything that he's ever said, uh, about evaluating quarterback play, the number one thing that you always see is, is pocket instincts. And he talks about it. And, and those guys that just have that innate feel for it, um, they, they could, you know, have less maybe arm talent or something, but if they, if they've got a natural feel, then they're most of the time going to be able to find guys, uh, within the, you know, within the contract or context of the offense and, uh, and, and, you know, throw the ball accurately. So I know that was a lot, that was kind of a lot there. No, no, no. It, it's all really good. Right. So, I mean, basically yeah. it is, it's being able to throw to your first read if they're open, but then if it's not, then to move through your progressions and, and do that smoothly and in rhythm, um, and then, you know, kind of evade the mayhem that is the pocket in the NFL to, yeah. to make a, th- to make a successful throw. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious whether or not, like when, if we go back to the idea of a wide receiver being open, this is a question that like, it might sound, I don't know, it might sound like overly reductive, but I'm legit curious about it. If there is a wide open dude, is the, is the expectation with Von Miller breathing down your neck and not even breathing down your neck, but it's just in an NFL pocket that's super crazy with the mayhem and the disguise and everything that you do complete that if you're in a quarterback room with Tom Brady, is it like, I don't care if you're the seventh round pick, you're making that throw because you're a quarterback right. or is it like, well, we, we get it right. That there's, you're not always going to make those throws and, and it's not expected that you're always going to hit that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the depth of that throw definitely takes into, into account if it's a, you know, 20 yard seam route and you've got a guy that's legitimately hitting you as you're throwing Yes, but uh, it's expected to where if you've got enough space, a little bit of space in the pocket to where your arm's not being affected at all, uh, you know, these guys, you got to be able to just basically turn and rotate in the spot where you're at right now. There's no following through on a lot of these. You're expected to just make, ter- be able to turn, rotate, and as long as your arm is not getting hit or maybe you're getting bumped on the side, you're expected to make those throws. So, um, you know, the pockets seem you know, we, we talk about O-line play and, and how, how much it's changed over the years. And if it's, if it's worse now, you know, those guys up front are coming and, and you just have the, the space in the pocket, uh, is, is something that you always see where you're like, man, I don't know how this guy got this throw out. You know, Tom Brady's obviously a master at it, but, um, you know, I think that's definitely, that's definitely a good question. I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. 
So you mentioned something interesting there, um, you know, about a quarterback's ability essentially to have to stand in that spot and just kind of rotate the upper body, right? Not really be able to get all the way through it and, and have those kind of like perfect ideal mechanics when you're getting the ball out. Um, I think that's another area that is, is kind of tough, right? For like an average person to be able to look at is, is what a quarterback's doing mechanically. I think a lot of people seem to have this idea that there is like this perfect set of mechanics out there and that every quarterback eventually needs to kind of look the same. Right. Um, I know there was a, a, um, a video that, uh, you did on the, the YouTube page for PFF where you talked about though, how elite quarterbacks do share a number of similarities from a mechanic standpoint. So what are kind of those like foundational things that you do have to have that are kind of a little bit more non-negotiable from a mechanic standpoint? And then, you know, what are some things that can maybe be uh, a little bit more individual flavor? Can you guys, did you guys hear the cat in the background? Nope. Now you get okay. We Can you, can you chop that up and I can just start over? Oh no, I'm going to leave, start, I'm going to leave it in there. and I'm going to go ahead and float the idea <laughs> that you're a cat murderer. I mean, that's the only conclusion I can draw here. Gosh, dang it. I, I maybe I should, I should just roll with it, but as my fiance has got a cat and, like it's it's actually meowing at the door so that's uh, i know all that, that you know that you know how it is <laughs> yeah no i think there, there definitely is uh a lot of similarities between what the best guys are doing mechanically you know you look at the upper body all of them kind of stay on a level plane their shoulders are not uh dipping up and down but they're staying you know basically on the exact same plane like if you got a bucket of water on your head uh, a lot of them can stay so steady with their head and their shoulders that uh, they're just rotating, rotating through. And then uh, another commonality is just uh, with their left arm. If their left arm is uh, and their left hand is finishing somewhere in front of their face, uh, that means that they're they're square to the throw. They're not spinning out. A lot of a lot of quarterbacks, you know, can spin out with their left arm and then uh, you know end up kind of away from their body. They're they're trying to stay as tight as they possibly can and. Some of them work on it. Some of them, it's just a, a natural thing that they do. Um, but but that upper body commonality between uh, you know keeping your left shoulder and your left arm tight, finishing, uh, staying shoulders level, and then obviously you got to have that kind of just natural whip arm that uh, that we see guys have. But um, that that's a huge part. And then you know the lower body, I think, is something that a lot of guys just never you know never learned when you're growing up and and then you kind of like you kind of get a feeling maybe later on in life you know you play a lot of golf or something and you kind of just like hey if i if i just snap my you know right hip all the way through and try to get my belly button to the target uh you know my lower body's syncing up with my upper body so i think uh, it all ties in together but a lot of the upper body mechanics um you know the majority of the guys you see with garoppolo obviously he's He's watched Tom Brady for the longest time, but he he is very very tight with his left arm, keeping it in, and uh, just keeps everything compact and and kind of keeps you in that uh, you know almost like a figure skater. You want to be tight if they're, they're spinning all the way around to to spin as fast as they can. Uh, same thing mechanically; those guys want to stay as tight as they can. What do you think is the most difficult throw for a quarterback when it comes to their mechanics? In other words, what? What throw must you be mechanically sound in order to successfully hit repeatedly? Mm, that's a good question. I would say a lot of it is the uh, anything anything to your backside. So for a right hander um, throwing any uh, 
any ball that needs velocity, I would say over 15 yards uh, to your left side for right-handers uh, outside outside the numbers. So if there's, you know, you can, your footwork has to be has to be ideal. You got to be lined up with your back foot to the throw, and and you can really get exposed, uh, you know, by leaving a ball. A lot of those throws to your left side get left inside, you know, on a lot of plays. So. Um, I would say that that's, that's one where if you're not all synced up and you're not throwing that thing good, um, you know, you can leave a ball inside. It can lead to a pick, but the, the, the left side outbreakers, 15 yards plus, um, you know, really, really that 12 to 18, 20 yard range where you got to put a lot of zip on it. Those are, I think those are toughest ones. Cool. So I, I mean, even kind of tying that back to Garoppolo, right. And, and kind of the struggles he had on the deep ball there. Uh, I guess the, on the flip side of that, is it, is it more of a depth issue when you talk about throws that you can kind of get away with mechanics that aren't really ideal, right? It, whether that's due to, you know, pressure and guys falling around you and you just you don't have the, the space to be able to do that or, or whatever the reason may be. Is it more of a depth thing where like those shorter, those intermediate throws, you can get away with mechanics that aren't perfect, but the further downfield you get kind of the more those things need to be on point? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's, um, you know, the, the depth of it. And then also, uh, you know, is it is it on the hash? Is it in between the hashes, in between the numbers? Is it in that area to where uh, you can kind of just flick it out and, and not be completely perfect with your feet or nothing set? I think that's where a lot of guys, um, you know, can still have success where you're not having to fire something outside the numbers uh, without perfect mechanics. You know, the in between the numbers stuff, you can typically kind of get away with with something not being exactly perfect all right so let's talk a bit more about evaluating quarterback plays specifically when you're looking at a quarterback's tape how give us the cliff notes of what you're looking for when you're saying that was a good quarterback play or that was not a good quarterback play yeah i think um you know going back to we talked about the rhythm of the offense and and i think um, you know, in terms of what they're seeing pre-snap, you know, we talked about how, how often you go to your first read, you know, the guy's got to be able to see what's going on pre-snap and, and what his eyes are doing. You know, you saw, uh, Josh Allen, for example, last season, um, you know, his eyes would be all over the place really in, in his drop and it could be quick game. It could be, um, an intermediate concept, but you could just tell his eyes were not in the right spot a lot of the time. So you kind of looked at that. Um, and then, uh, are the, you know, are most importantly, are they throwing to the open guy and are they throwing it accurately? But, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the times when I'm first looking at a guy, I'm, I'm trying to look at like just his overall instincts because, um, there's a lot of guys that can look good in a clean pocket and, and everything is all good going to their first read. A lot of these college guys, you know, especially are throwing a ton to their first read. So, um, you, you kind of want to look past that, see how they're, if they are forced to, to feel the pocket on a certain play and, and maybe find a second and third option. And um, I, I love the plays that, that the guys find the check down. I know as, as boring as that sounds, it's like, man, that's a good, that's a good NFL play right there. Uh, you see the best guys that are able to do it. So um, there's certainly, certainly a lot that, that you can look at in one play. But I think if I'm, if I'm looking right off the bat, I'm like, okay, where, where's this guy's instincts? How are his eyes working? And uh, you know, is he finding the, the open guy consistently? So is, is there anything that you can, any tip or trick that you can give the, the average NFL watcher to help them figure out how to, how to figure out what's going on between the quarterback's ears? Because we know that the position is, is a lot of times decided based on decision-making and yeah. kind of quality of decision-making. 
And it, sometimes it's really difficult to pick up on when you're just watching, whether it be TV tape or even if you do have Game Pass, you, sometimes you don't know what you're looking at. So sure. is, is there a way or a tip or just something where you're like, you know what, if you can focus on this thing, that will help you figure out kind of their decision making and work through it? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a tough question. I think it's a good, very fair, fair question because, you know, separating quarterback play and evaluating quarterback play for the longest time, obviously it's been very tough. But I, I think if you can look at their – if you can look at their feet and, um, you know, see if they're throwing kind of in rhythm, if they're throwing on, you know, one hitch and if they're throwing on, if they're throwing on the first or second hitch and they're throwing consistently to open guys, then they're, you know, they're, you could be getting some good play calls matched up with the defense, but that means that you're seeing the game well. And so I think looking at the quarterback's feet a lot and just, um, are, you know, do they get a little jittery after he sees, something happen on on the right side of the field that he's not expecting uh and then he gets back to the middle of the field and he's you know the feet are just kind of not as calm so uh, i think that's definitely a, a good tell is is uh just the rhythm of the feet once he hits the top of the drop does he take one hitch and then he's finding the open guy does he take a second hitch and then anything after that is kind of uh uh not quite an extend the play but you know you're expected to, to find a guy or, or make a play on that you know third and fourth hitch so we, we've kind of touched on it uh, a couple times just a little bit here in terms of, you know, mentioned how often quarterbacks are really actually going to their first look and, and you know, relatively how less that they're actually moving on and, and finding that second or third guy kind of in the progression. I think there is a lot of misunderstanding, um, you know, about how quarterbacks progressions work, right? And, and how often they're actually moving to that second and third guy. I mean, this was a thing. Uh, that we dealt with in Ninerland with Colin Kaepernick for the longest time, right? Where it was basically he was a one-read guy and people would throw that out without not really understanding kind of what that term was implying. Um, yeah. So I, I think what what exactly, if you can you know strap the helmet on again and uh, walk us kind of through what a quarterback is looking for on the field from the time they communicate that play call to the time they release the ball, what, what are their, what are they focused on? What are they looking at from the defense? Like, how are they, uh, I guess, determining where they're ultimately going to throw that ball? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, you know, you start off with, first of all, you want to make sure your guys are, are lined up. So you call a play, um, you're kind of, you kind of get a preliminary look at the defense and, and you're mostly just looking at the safeties. Okay. Are they in a two high shell? They still in single high. Okay. I got a preliminary look at the safeties um, glancing, seeing kind of the corners, the front of the defense while I'm seeing and making sure your guys are obviously set there. Uh, and then as you're getting ready to snap the ball, um, you know, depending on the play call, the, the best thing, the best offenses are ones that aren't considered shell reads. And so shell reads, meaning uh, if it's too high, I'm going to this side of the field. If it's one high, I'm going to this side of the field. And that's kind of the term where you're saying, hey, he's a one read guy. A lot of the teams are, are know that he can't, you know, progress through, uh, and so they they make more shell reads to where they're saying, okay, we're cutting the field down, and if it's if it's single high, you're going to go here. If it's too high, you're going here, and make it as simple as possible that way. The best offenses and the best quarterbacks are the ones where you can have true across the board, uh, right to left reads, um, and and the, and those those reads are. If you got a guy that can do it and he can come up to the line of scrimmage and he can say, okay, I'm starting here and I can maybe eliminate one of these guys just based on pre-snap leverage, uh, then I'm an advantage. And then I can just click through my progression, you know, based on how tight the coverage is to the next guy. But I got 
basically if I start on the right side of the field, I know I got everybody from the left side coming into my vision to where I can go, you know, right to middle to left to check down. And, um, that, that's a lot of the West coast offense in, in terms of what that is. But, um, you know, you find out the shell of the defense, what the defensive safeties are doing. And then after the snap, if it's a true shell read where you're reading one side, basically you end up reading one guy and then you're making your decision off of that guy. Uh, if it's a true across the board, um, you know, Jay Gruden used to say, you know, right to left on your radio dial, left to right on your radio dial. Those are, you know, those are the best plays if you've got a guy that can do it because uh, you really got every seat, every receiver is a uh, is viable option on each play. With those full progressions, right? So say you have a situation where you are looking to go one to two to three, maybe across the entire field. Um, as a quarterback, I guess, at least in, in your experience, right, in this West Coast system, um, are you mostly focused on the receiver? So are you actually going from your guy, right, receiver number one yeah. to receiver number two? Or are you focused more so on, uh, like, maybe a specific key defender and, and their leverage? Or uh, wh- what are you, like, looking at specifically to determine – whether you're going to go to that first read or move on to two and three. Yeah, man, you guys got some great questions. Um, (laughs) But this, uh, this is, uh, you can ask a bunch of different guys. I think that uh, a lot, a lot of guys would say that they're looking at, you know, defenders strictly and just kind of feeling their guy. Um, The best way that I've like, I've heard it, you know, preached to me is, is just see your spots. So you're, you're seeing the spot, you know, that your eyes are going to that spot, but you're not necessarily just focused in on, on just the defender to where he backs up. And then you got to try to re you know, recalibrate and find where your receiver's at. So I think the, the best guys can just, you know, get their eyes in that spot and then just have a, a, a really good understanding of, uh, okay, I need to move on. And if I, if I move on, am I doing it smoothly? Um, is, is kind of the, the, the key thing. So um, seeing your spots is, is a good way to put it. Um, there are certainly, certainly reads where you're just going to look at the defender and, you know, he, he backs up right away and you'll, you'll just naturally kind of have your guy that comes into your vision. But, um, you know, if you're kind of looking at it just big picture, what to do, I would just say, you know, see your spots and, and kind of feel both guys at the same time. Uh, I think in terms of questions, that's most of the stuff we've got. Uh, I want to move on to the fun stuff. Let's move on to the lightning round. That wasn't Sweet. the fun stuff? Uh, man, you know, I love, you know I love me some lightning rounds. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love hearing about how Texas' defense is great and all, but let's get to, <laughs> let's get to the fun stuff. All right, so we're going to ask you just like maybe five or six or like 15 questions. Give me, give me the first thing that comes to mind. Like don't think gut instinct. You know, like if I say cat or dog, you say dog. Yeah, exactly, because you murder cats, right? <laughs> yes. Like, that's... Well. that's you know. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> All right, so uh, off the top, rank one to four of the NFC West QBs. Go. Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, whoever is in Arizona. Who, what, who am I missing here? Jared Goff. Jared Goff. Jared Goff. I would say Goff, whoever's in Arizona. Uh, there's a reason you forgot Jared Goff. Uh, number two, uh, you're starting a franchise with a quarterback under 27. Who do you choose? Under 27, I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes. Oh, man. Look Mahomes at that. Your guy, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, I, yeah, I just want to see the excitement, the Brett Favre factor. We might have some uh, some ugly ones in there, but 
man, I, I need some excitement. So I'm fun. going Patrick Mahomes. Hot damn. All right. Best non-Stillwater stadium that you've played in? Ooh, I would say Texas A&M, Kyle Field. Um, I, do not, I would do not really like their fans, but <laughs> I, I think they're, they can be a little obnoxious. But a little. Uh, the, game, the game day atmosphere there is it's a pretty cool place. Man, I'm married into a family of Aggies, so I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel your pain. I'm sorry about that. I know. It happens. Nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> uh, best burger you've ever had? Best burger? I'm going to go with Shake Shack. I like Shake Shack. I'm going like big. I know it's not a you know, family-run place or anything, small town, <laughs> but I, I'm going to go Shake Shack. That, I used to live at that place in Dallas. So, All right. Give me your World Cup favorite. World Cup favorite. I haven't, I haven't been watching. Did Belgium win today? Uh, spoiler no. alert in case anyone... Well, David ruined it. Uh, no. no spoiler alert. If yeah. Not, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, that, was my, that was my 538 quiz pick team. That was the uh, only way that I could have a rooting interest. Yep. He, he even learned right. Belgian for yeah. like one text. It was great. Uh, all right. Yeah. Give me one word for Tom Brady's quarterback room. One word? Um, Tom. Oh man, it, it's That's, all about Tom in there. Yeah, give me. Is, is there any like yeah. interesting factoid about that quarterback room and how it's different than any other one? Um, man, I I was a rookie and I just like was trying to find my way. I would say I, I would just say like high level intelligence because when I was a rookie in there and and you know he you're not spending time on day one install stuff. You're looking at like. What are the Jets going to be doing in Week Twelve? Like, what blitzes are we got? We got to pre- prepare for. So, it was Bill, O'Bri- Bill O'Brien in there, and, and Brady, and then uh, Hoyer and myself were in there, just kind of like nodding along, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we're with you. But they're talking high level protection and and uh, you know, just just what what plays they're going to run in like Week Twelve of that season. We're talking this was like in you know May, June OTA. So. Um, it's yeah, it, it was, it was pretty interesting, man. The benefit of consistency, man. We're, yeah. We're, we're, oh, we're, no. we're enjoying a little bit of that right now. We have a second year head coach, you know, so <laughs> right. We, Been we a have... while since that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so most difficult defense you've prepared for. Ooh, in the NFL. It, uh, well, yeah. Uh, give me college col- or the NFL, either one. College. I would say Texas that, that year that you're, that we've already talked about. Um, they, they did some good, like, just kind of match coverages where they weren't just uh spot drop into zones and they kind of would, they would pattern match and, and match up with you. And then they'd play cover one and they just had better players. So, um, I would say that. And then, gosh, we, we played the Texans a couple of years when, you know, JJ Watt was coming and they had, um, they, they've always had good schemes down there with, you know, whether they had Wade Phillips or, uh, whoever they had those playoff years, um, the Texans were always just kind of one where you look and you're like, man, they're not giving up many easy throws. And, um, you know, they, they, when I was in Cincinnati, they had, we had back-to-back playoffs years there and, and, uh, it was tough to get anything going against them. They're a good team. All right. And then you've talked a lot about how you've learned, you mentioned Bill O'Brien and Ken Zampezi, uh, people you've learned a lot from what's the one thing that they taught you about quarterbacking that you still think about to this day? Man, uh, good question. I would say uh, a lot of it's just like just trust what you see and let it rip. You know, don't don't try to make this thing uh, overcomplicated. Ken Zampezi would always see say, "Hey, it's better to be decisive than right." 
And that's definitely something that kind of, um, you know, I coach some quarterbacks on the side and same, same exact thing, man, just trust what you're seeing and, and, and let it rip because there's any, any hesitation. It's, it's usually not going to be good. All right. And then final question, give me your, your record prediction for the Niners this year. Record prediction for the Niners. I'm, I'm going to say 10 and six. Yeah, that's All right. right. What do, you like think, what do you think? Is that, is that good? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, I think we, we still have to do like the whole like ramp up to the, to the season and training camp and injuries and everything. But I, I feel like eight and eight, nine and seven is right in that area where I'm, I'm feeling good about yeah. the team. I think if they can steal a couple yeah. of games, they get up to 10. Um, but I think, you know, if, if they don't win more than, than six or seven games, I think it'll be a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. nine wins, give or take, is is I feel like kind of kind of where you're at with them, and I think really that ceiling they they need that defense, you know, the young guys that they have on that defense to develop, and and that'll help them out a lot. But yeah, I think that's yeah. like right right in the ballpark for sure. Yeah, if yeah. Richard Sherman comes back to uh, to All Pro Richard, or even close to All Pro Richard Sherman, if he comes back to like Pro Bowl Richard Sherman, yeah, which yeah. You know, I knows? mean, he could just be Richard Sherman and on the field, and that's probably an improvement from Dante Johnson. So, I mean, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll be all right. I think, yeah, I think yeah, he's the least, least of my worries at this point. They need guys like Witherspoon and Colbert and, and all these young dudes to be able to actually Solomon step Thomas. up and develop Solomon Thomas. Solomon exactly. Thomas, yeah, big one. That's my dude. That's my dude. All right, well, hey, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks a lot for sharing all your nuggets of wisdom uh, and, and for reliving the, the painful memory that was that Texas game. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was fun, fellas. I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome, man. Thanks. All right, David. Biggest takeaway from the interview with Zach. Oh man, I I I think it's uh, there. There was a lot. It's hard to pick out one thing. Um, You know, I think a lot of the stuff that he talked about is as far as like the processing elements, right? And and really kind of what quarterbacks are looking for because I think that's so important, right? If you're Uh, an outsider who's never been a quarterback or, you know, never played at a high level and and haven't studied like what these guys are doing, having some things that you can kind of visually cue in on um, when you're when you're watching these games or, um, you know, even just having a a general idea, even if it's not going to get you to the right spot every single snap, having a general idea of what these guys are looking at and, and what their thought process is out on the field. I think is, is so important and you have to have kind of at least a basic understanding there uh, to try and evaluate these guys. So I thought that step was great. Yeah, I thought I was really intrigued by just the concept of what the expectation is for an NFL quarterback nowadays where you're expected to be able to literally throw on a dime, throw in a spot and, and not move much. That's now base level expectation for quarterback play. I don't know that very many quarterbacks can do that very well. Yeah, I think, you know, that expectation is is uh, is not right. What gets you in the door as an NFL quarterback, right? right? It's like, what what am I doing to perform and actually help my team? Yeah. Right. And, and kind of uh, looking at it from that lens is great because, yeah, like like we mentioned, you know, during uh, the interview, it's tough, you know, especially if you're not watching all of these quarterbacks play and you're used to shitty quarterback play like we've had in San Francisco forever. Um, it, it's very easy to to kind of think that some stuff that, that is a little bit more um, expected and, and kind of basic is just like this otherworldly stuff because we haven't had anybody that can perform at that level. So that was uh, definitely helpful. Yeah. Also, another Shake Shack fan. 
That seems... Uh, hey, nothing wrong with Shake Shack at all. Uh, um, I mean, they do serve beer there, which I appreciate. Yeah. Any any burger place that can get me beer and, you know, a bur- the burger's, like, not terrible by any means. They have pretty no. solid fries, too. I'm yeah, like, their I'm burger's right. not terrible. I'm gonna, yeah. I want to create, like, a burger ranking because we've got... I know we've got a lot of fans who are like, In-N-Out's amazing. I know. We mm. get, like, there's, like, the more fast foodie ones that gets, yeah. right? It's the In-N-Out, the five guys that uh, drives everybody, everybody crazy. <laughs> burger tears. There are, there are burger tears. There are definitely burger tears. And I mean, T-I-E-R-S, uh, not like burger tears, because uh, that would be a whole different kind of tier. I mean, hopefully, whatever burger you're eating isn't... When I don't eat burgers, I cry tears, and they are burger tears. There you go. Yep. Thanks for tuning in for the slightly delayed, I guess, interview episode of the Scheme Month. This is week two of Scheme Month. We're going to try and do another episode this week, uh, but if we can't and have to reschedule, then we'll come back next week with our defensive-focused smart football episode And we'll talk a little bit about Robert Sala and some things that we look for schematically when thinking about what he's going to do next year on defense. So thanks again for tuning in. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. You can always get our merch at TeePublic. Find my Twitter page, quiz from the last section, about where to find that and and get the the link, get your t-shirts. They're all the way in Brazil now. All the way in Brazil. No one's going to understand what that about to throw up t-shirt means in Brazil. But that but dude I is, love it nonetheless. But that dude is it's rocking amazing. it hard. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.